every organization, every individual has a role to play in trying to find solutions to the biggest challenges we face. Whether it's creating financial solutions for climate change or biodiversity loss, or ensuring businesses and people are protected against risks through local currency financing, it's critically important that an organization reflects on the impact it's creating to ensure it really is making a difference. This is a CD Insights podcast from Cardano Development. I'm El Leontiev. And I'm Oli Giu. Over the next four episodes, we'll be discussing everything related to creating an impact in emerging and frontier financial markets, impact investing trends, and what it will take to bridge the annual $2.5 trillion SDG financing gap. Cardano Development has just launched its first ever impact review and trends document. And to kick off the continuation of the CD Insights series, we're going to start there. After listening to today's episode, head over to our website to read the document in full. Right at the beginning of the show, you heard Alice Chappell, Director of Impact Value. She's on the lineup today alongside Cardano Development CEO Joost Zauberg. The aim of CD's impact review and trends document is to assess our contribution to the growth of financial markets in frontier and emerging economies by looking at the financial solutions we've developed. This isn't just so we can showcase our impact to stakeholders, but to make it clear in our minds too. One of the fundamental challenges we have looked at for a long time at Cardano Development is, how do we quantify and define the impact we make and wish to have? We have the desire to answer these questions, but quantifying incubation and financial market development is quite complex. Most financial development investors quantify impact in terms of jobs created and CO2 emissions avoided. Although some of the Cardano development group companies follow this impact logic, we realise our impact has a more systemic knock-on effect within local financial markets. It's not a clear-cut process to quantify and attribute to our work alone. By discussing some of our case studies, we look backwards at our impact and forwards at financial market trends to illustrate how we directly and indirectly promote the acceleration of financial market development and align with the sustainable development goals. Ultimately, we have the ambition to further quantify our impact. For now, this review represents an important step in the right direction as we seek to measure and illustrate our impact in a meaningful and accurate way. Although it's hard to quantify impact, what we can do is look at how much capital our businesses have mobilized directly. And that figure comes to 2.5 billion US dollars. Here's Yoast. The core of what we are about is to mobilize other people's capital to be invested in the real economy in developing countries. The way we do that is we create institutions which in itself also need capital. We look at uh, mobilization in two segments. One is uh, how much capital are we able to fund, raise to help our institutions exist. And secondly is what does, does, what's the impact of our institutions on the markets that they are targeting. So we are particularly proud of the second element where our institutions are catalytic in uh, mobilizing, um, let's say, local capital or international capital to be provided in the right way to clients in, uh, in developing countries. We measure this in terms of leverage, in, uh, how many dollars mobilized per dollar invested. 
We catalyze it in the quality of the transactions that occur. For instance, it is obviously very important, not just that investments occur, but also that they are sustainable, that they uh, contribute to the Paris goals. And so we measure quality of, of transactions in terms of climate effects, in terms of social effects, and, and control for that quality and, and, and steer the, the transactions in the right direction. As Alice has pointed out, reviewing impact is a way of understanding how you're helping to solve some of the world's biggest challenges. But she says an organization benefits in other ways too. Any organization needs to reflect on impact because it helps them be more resilient to the future shocks, future risks that might be encountered. And then I think thirdly, looking at things through an impact lens enables people to be more innovative and find solutions to things which perhaps they hadn't thought of before. And that drives change, drives profitability, if that's what you're after, definitely drives impact to the solutions to the challenges we're facing. An organization that is very rigorous about identifying and understanding its impact will be that much better at delivering it. From the point of view of Cardano development, I think it does have a unique approach to delivering impact. It's more thoughtful about it than many others. It's also very good at inventing and innovating in response to impact that it needs to make. So what it tries to do is it it looks at where the impacts can be made in the financial markets, where things need to change, where risks need to be managed better, and innovates into that space. So that, I think, is a really powerful way to think of impact, almost working backwards from the impact one sees is needed in the financial markets and thinking what are the solutions to that. So then an organization like Cardano Development clearly can deliver impact because it's thought very clearly about the steps that are needed to, to get there. Yoast, Cardano Development's impact strategy really centers around empowering frontier economies. Why is it so important to develop strong financial markets in these countries? There's a whole host of research done about the strength of an economy when not dependent on capital from outside. There is a lot of uh, different elements to that. Uh, of course, uh, since our start, we are very involved in the currency debate within that, but it goes beyond the currency. It also has to do with the um, engagement of the capital providers in the own economy and uh, all of the political elements that follow from that. So in our opinion, one of the development elements within frontier markets has to be the democratization of capital within their own stakeholders, as opposed to the current situation in many countries where they are dependent from capital from outside. But obviously, um, there are challenges associated with this. There are risks of doing this. Um, what are those challenges and risks? We are coming from a situation where the local capital was very small, not able to engage, and so therefore not a factor of importance. As a result, for instance, in Africa or South Asia, a lot of the economy and the capital was dependent on development banks and other international capital. With the recent developments in the last decades of uh, reform for pensions and better engagement and more local savings, that is materially changing in a lot of countries. And so that is essentially 
the building block of our strategy at the moment. So you're, you're saying it's getting less challenging? It's much improving in many countries, yes. What are the sort of specific roadblocks then to starting up financial solutions in developing countries? Where we come from is that there wasn't much around. Now there is a decent potential, but still a lot of knowledge roadblocks. So, so institutions that have capital to, to invest experience limitations to what they can do. For instance, they may not be able to assess uh, risks well because of lack of experience. There is a tremendous hurdle in terms of liquidity uh, within the system. So institutions may be interested to invest, but still experience liquidity constraints. As always, when you're starting a market, there is a self-fulfilling cycle of uh, that, that activity begets activity. And so the first few steps are always hard, very hard. So Alice, how is Cardano development helping to mitigate those risks? So investors are averse to risks and frontier economies do present an enormous number of risks, perceived and actual, which need to be managed if, if investors are going to venture into those places. What Cardano Development has done with its portfolio of different projects is identify where those risks are and find solutions which will help investors to, to come into those markets. So you could take any of the examples of the projects in Cardano Development's portfolio. TCX addresses exchange rate risk. ILX addresses the risk both from an ESG point of view and a financial point of view that institutional investors see of coming into projects in developing countries. Grantco, for example, manages the risk, reduces the risk for investors by taking a share of the risk in an early stage transaction. And over time, perhaps that risk will be perceived as lower. So the guarantee is going to be needed to be lower. So in each case, the the solution that Cardano Development has innovated is designed to address a specific risk that a potential investor in the frontier economies is perceiving or is actually experiencing. And I think each of those different portfolio projects has a powerful way of, of dealing with those risks. And when creating impact relies on a certain amount of risk taking for investors, how do you convince them that it's the right path forward? It's very difficult for an institution that is properly governed and controlled to take unknown risks. And as a natural way, uh, they would then be very, very cautious. And that is a problem if you wish to uh, scale up fast. So in our opinion, the, the solution to this problem that we have implemented is the use of guarantees to take away certain risks that a set of stakeholders do not wish to take, get them to engage, get them comfortable to understand how things are done. And then over time, that uh, hurdle may be reduced or, or different. Yeah, so it's, it's not necessarily about, you know, th there is a, an element of taking out the risk, but there's also convincing investors that those risks are manageable and they're worth taking. Yes, absolutely, number one. But also what we've come to realize is that if there is one transaction every year, that's not a market. If there are 10 transactions every year, all of a sudden you have a market and you have a, a system that, that adapts to that. So the transition from zero to 10 is one that needs careful uh, catalyzation. And so it is useful in that transition from zero to 10 
to de-risk transactions to help investors engage and to generally uh, you know make it make life easier for them once you're at the 10 the market can start taking care of its own and that's i guess where the the mindset shift takes place you get from Correct. zero to 10 and suddenly it's viewed as less risky there is like this sort of impetus to go forward and invest yeah, it's, uh, then all of a sudden, it's totally logical for a pension fund to invest in, for example, infrastructure. Once everyone's done one uh, and they start talking to each other about the relative merits of transactions, the next one becomes a lot easier. There's also an institutional effect. For instance, when uh, regulators see that there is regular flow of a particular type of assets, they will start agreeing on uh, how those assets should be taken by the institutions they regulate. So you're creating this set of rules around an asset class that normalizes the situation also. In terms of these guarantees, there's been uh, quite a lot of success with InfraCredit. Can you tell us a bit about that? InfraCredit was conceived as a joint venture between the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Nigeria and Garantco. Basically, in order to uh, better serve the, the Nigerian pension market that was growing rapidly at the time. What we didn't foresee is that the experience of infracredit was so different from the one that we had at Garantco. And uh, looking back, the reason is that uh, if you create a local institution with local stakeholders and a local team, addressing a single market rather than the whole of uh, the African continent, that focus is really appreciated by the Nigerian capital market stakeholders, both investors and the regulators. And so this, this psychological effect that, Oli, you were talking about is really powerful. In the review, we talk a lot about uh, democratized data. So why do you think this is so impactful? There is a very specific reason why data is important, um, and there's also a more general one. The general one is that investors, when considering a new asset class or a new set of potential transactions, act on the basis of data, a historical track record. So they, they analyze uh, risks and returns and take a decision from there. In the absence of data, they will uh, not engage. So that's really important. The specific reason is that the data on debt provided in developing countries is that risks are a multiple lower than what people expect when they look at the ratings of the countries involved. So if you invest in Africa, for argument's sake, the average would be uh, somewhere between single B and double B in terms of rating of the country the natural thing would be to expect that transactions follow the same uh, risk as that uh, level of, of ratings, when in fact the experience shows that the risk is much lower. So disclosing that data would materially change the, the risk perception of uh, potential investors on investing in a place like Africa. Are we getting any, any closer to that, to more democratized data? Uh, yes, there is a, a very large debate among development banks and their owners about disclosing their experience. And we hope that there will be meaningful steps taken in the next uh, year. It's really important because the development banks are the institutions that hold the most 
information about long-term investing in developing countries. CD's impact review outlines four financial market trends that influence the kinds of solutions that we bring to market. These are local currency becoming the norm, mobilizing institutional and private capital for the sustainable development goals, smart blending, and prioritizing climate finance. So let's touch on that first point, local currency becoming the norm. 15 years ago, Cardano Development launched the TCX fund. And since then, Yoast says the appetite for local currency financing has changed massively. We are particularly proud of uh, the one impact that TCX has had, which is that before TCX, currency risks were a unsolvable hurdle. After TCX, the urgency of that problem uh, very quickly disappeared and became one of how affordable is the solution. And of course, that debate's still ongoing until today. But at least I think it's a given that currency risks are manageable. And that is a very important psychological shift. So TCX was created 15 years ago, is doing very well. Since then, uh, we ourselves have continued to, to find varying solutions to the same problem, most of which being the mobilization of local capital, which in a natural way is obviously in, in the local currency. Obviously, Cardano development has always been a champion of local currency financing, but there still seems to be a bit of a slow pace in terms of pickup from development banks and how they issue these loans and still issue these loans in USD. Is there some way that we can inspire them to take a different approach What are the challenges you're seeing? The challenge that remains for development banks is one of competitiveness to uh, local alternatives. TCX, I believe, is a very efficient organization in terms of price of products. However, it is uh, still complicated for a development bank utilizing TCX to be price competitive against alternatives in the local market. And so that discussion on on cost and relative value is important. And alternatively, we also see that local clients very frequently are preferring to take the currency risk, thereby also enjoying low interest rates in dollars. So there's a, a need for us to continuously keep explaining what risks are actually taken and whether that is wise to do, depending on your situation. So there is a discussion going on on cost, whereas there should be a discussion much more centered around acceptable risk. So there seems to be a bit of a human psychological aspect to local currency financing. It is more expensive, but the long-term benefits outweigh the risks. So would you agree with that, that there is a bit of this, oh, I would, I would rather have the USD loan first over local currency. It's more expensive. Uh, what's your experience? That's exactly right, Al. Dollars and euros have low interest rates. A local currency debt has higher interest rates. There is a logical reason for that because of the devaluing trend of local currencies. However, it's quite logical, given how um, people function, to prefer short-term gains, i.e. lower interest rates, and not weigh the long-term risks of devaluation in the same way. Next, let's discuss the ILX Fund and the impact it's having in mobilizing capital for the Sustainable Development Goals. 
ILX was created with a very particular target based on a number of discussions that we have had with pension funds in Holland, where the feedback was that uh, investing in development finance in all of its different characteristics was very acceptable to the pension industry here, with one exception, that transactions needed to be scaled up to a minimum level much beyond what was usually proposed to them. And therefore, the, uh, the challenge was create something that can start at a billion dollars and grow from there. So the ILX concept really is based on, on that frame. And in having achieved the goal of scalability, we were uh, fortunate to indeed uh, get the support of a, of a very important player in the Dutch uh, pension industry, following which also um, some others have, have joined. So the, the purpose of ILX is really quite one-dimensional, is to achieve scale. So to mobilize the European pension industry with this one element that we, that we bring, which is scale. So let's touch on the third trend that you raised, and that is smart blending. So first, tell us about blended finance and its benefits, and then why you're advocating for smarter blending. Blending is, uh, is the use of donor capital to de-risk a particular proposition so that private sector capital, after de-risking, is interested to participate. It really is about mobilization and leverage. Leverage means the uh, ratio between mobilized private capital versus how much donor loss, first loss has to uh, be included. Smart blending is about maximizing that ratio and minimizing the use of public funds, minimizing the use of subsidies to achieve your results. This is where currently there is a lot of improvements possible. We see that with the increased interest from donors to utilize their capacity in blending to mobilize private sector capital with subsidized funding, the reaction logically from the market is, well, if, if there's a subsidy available, well, let's make use of that. The risk there is that the volume of capital available starts to become much more limited because there's just not that much donor capital around. So smarter blending, achieving higher leverage of mobilization is important to maintain uh, scalability of development finance. The ILEX Fund is actually an example of smart blending. Can you tell us about that? We're very proud of ILEX in that sense. The donor funds were used to create ILEX to defray the, the cost of uh, developing the, uh, the concepts. So that was to the tune of somewhere between four and five million dollars spent over a period of about four years in the run-up to the institution. There is, within the capital of ILX, no use of donor capital and no de-risking. So therefore, the leverage achieved of the public funds utilized for ILX is tremendous. So with the $4 million in, in cost, we've mobilized a billion dollars of, um, of pension fund capital. And the last trend in the review is prioritising climate finance, an issue that's really moved to the top of the agenda. CD is working to tackle climate change through a few different startups and scale-ups. 
Alice tells us about the Development Guarantee Group and its subsidiary, the Green Guarantee Company. We know that climate finance is critical in the developing world. We have to fund a low carbon growth strategy in developing countries. Otherwise, they will develop with fossil fuel uh, resources because that is the only alternative available to them that is affordable. We need, therefore, to follow through with commitments that were made in Paris to allocate at least $100 billion a year The promise was made by 2020, we still haven't got there, but to to drive that amount of climate finance at least into the developing countries. And we know that that's just a drop in the ocean compared to what's needed to fund climate finance, whether that's renewable energy, whether that's sustainable transport solutions, whether that's regenerative agriculture, lots of ways in which climate finance is required. Now, the Development Guarantee Group and its subsidiary, the Green Guarantee Company, are trying to find ways to enable that capital to flow more effectively. So we know that some uh, of the the climate change solutions are not currently commercially viable. Some are. So over the last few years, the cost of solar, as everybody's aware, has fallen dramatically and is now competitive with fossil fuels in many situations. But there are other more innovative technologies and more difficult places where some of these more proved technologies are, are happening, which will need a guarantee in order for private sector money to go there. So the Green Guarantee Company is playing a really important role in enabling that climate finance to flow. We just need to increase climate finance to the developing countries exponentially, and the guarantee of some of that private finance will help to scale that up as quickly as possible. As we mentioned at the start, measuring impact is difficult to do. Alice has been at the forefront of this field for many years. She says financial markets are complex and you can't always measure the final outcome in the short term. So we need to think bigger. You have to be looking to see what the impacts are that are driving towards the ultimate impact you want to see. And the ultimate impact, of course, which we're trying to measure is how more capital is flowing to people and environmental solutions that that need it. So that's the ultimate measure. But financial markets interventions are, as I say, not going to have that impact immediately. So what we need to track also is perception of risk. um, How are financial institutions, financial players perceiving risk? And a way to look at that is different in each of the different um, types of of product that, that Cardano Development is working on. So, for example... In Garanko, it's possible to see and track and measure whether the second transaction in a particular sector requires a lower guarantee than the first one. In TCX, for example, one can measure the effects of the foreign exchange hedging on the ability of an enterprise to operate in a resilient way, in a in a stable way, even if the effects of the foreign exchange risk aren't immediately visible. In, for example, Frontclear, one can measure the extent to which banks are lending to each other. And although that doesn't necessarily measure the final impact on beneficiaries, it's a really good indication that the market is working better, which implies that over time, those funds will flow more effectively through to SMEs, to the individuals that need it. One other area, I think, which is really critical for measurement is the capital mobilised. So, 
We've talked a bit about the fact that ILX has been able to mobilise pension funds alongside it. InfraCredit has mobilised a lot of domestic investment in the Nigerian market. Garanco mobilises funds that wouldn't otherwise go into projects that are, that are being de-risked a bit by the guarantee. So that's quite an early indication of, of how the projects are having an impact amount of money that's being mobilized alongside. Now, clearly that money has to be mobilized in a way that actually reaches the SDGs eventually. You know, it, those those mobilizations have to go in the right direction, but it's certainly an indication of impact that we are able to mobilize money that hasn't thought about going into the frontier economies before. So I think it's a complicated area and it's a long answer and, and it would take a whole day of podcasts to get through the different ways in which one might measure it. But I do think that what's crucial is an eye on the ball of the final impact on the beneficiaries, but a very close I also on the steps that will lead to that over time. And and with financial markets, one can track many different things which indicate that we're moving in the right direction. Alice, what do you think investors and stakeholders can take away from CD's first impact review? So I think I'd like to think that three things in particular they would take away. I think, first of all, I think they should be and will be inspired by the examples they read about. Secondly, the impact review will help to show how the fundamental role of financial markets, the fundamental role it plays in helping to achieve the SDGs and address climate change. It's seen sometimes as a as something which is peripheral, which can't really drive impact and people focus more on the end results. But I think by reading the impact review, people will see how that role of financial markets is absolutely critical as a step towards achieving the SDGs. And then thirdly, I hope that investors will see that there are ways of managing the risk of investing in these frontier economies so that they can and and will allocate more capital in that direction and will help to achieve the SDGs and address climate change. And yes, we, we mentioned the investor mindset earlier and how important that is in shifting how we view frontier economies. Do you think mindsets are changing? Are you seeing that actively happening now? Uh, there's no denying that in many places they are changing. It is also clear that uh, the mainstream investor community is still very wary of frontier markets in developing countries. So the, yes, it's moving. And yes, there's a lot to do. I, I am very convinced of the power of the psychology within which people operate. And it's very important to become part of what's what I would call business as usual, rather than to be an exotic outlier. And let's say debt finance in developing countries still is very much this exotic outlier that we need to, to move into uh, mainstream. So what advice can Alice offer for any would-be investors who are thinking of perhaps investing in the kinds of innovations that Cardano development offers? What do they stand to gain? They stand to gain access to the most vibrant economies that are likely to be invested in. Uh, We know that there's an enormous growth potential in these economies. And if done right, that is a, a really good opportunity for profitable investment. I think also they stand to gain a better portfolio as a whole. I think that there are risks of not investing in some of these economies, which are real. 
because if we ignore some parts of the world, then that will have knock-on effects on the rest of investments in, in the apparently safer places. So I think that investors are not able to isolate themselves from the effects of developing countries and of the frontier economies, nor should they think that that's a, a particularly more profitable way to behave. Actually, the way that I think that we will achieve a better return across the whole portfolio is by engaging, finding through models such as Cardano Developments, finding ways in which that investment becomes possible. Thanks to Yos and Alice for joining us on CD Insights, the podcast from Cardano Development. Throughout the rest of the series, we'll be joined by high-level guests to analyse trends in impact investing, discuss finance for climate, energy and health, and what it will take to bridge the annual 2.5 trillion SDG financing gap. Please like us and review us on your favourite podcast app and visit our website for loads of extra content and information. That's cardanodevelopment.com slash insights. Bye for now and we'll see you next time.